Uh, there's this thing that's been going on. The world has sort of stopped over the past couple of weeks to, to participate in these games, Jamie, called the what? Uh, how many of you guys have watched the Olympics? <clears throat> Bobsledding. I want you to know that I went down the bobsled in, in, uh, in, uh, in Alberta, in uh, Calgary, and me and another guy, heavy guy, <laughs> we set the bobsled record. Um, I'm telling the truth. Oh, listen, it was all we could do to hung, hang on. It was during the summertime when we went, and it was after the Olympics, but they had our time up there, record. You have to ask Meredith about it. But, uh, I mean, speed skating, you've got to be a nut. Cross-country skiing, forget you. I mean, I, I'm thinking hockey. I mean, who in the world wants to wear a hockey I mean, it, none of those guys have teeth. If you really look at them, there's no teeth. Or they got one big teeth and a bunch of little teeth. And, uh, uh, but anyway, we've been sort of, sort of focused down. And I think right now they're sort of having the closing, the closing so everybody's TiVoing or whatever you call that, so you can watch the closing, the closing uh, Olympic Games that's happening today. But we've been sort of celebrating those that have, that have excelled in these athletic games, those that have... You know, those that have gone the extra mile. Can you imagine how many hours of practice that it's gone in for somebody? I mean, for a 15-year-old to skate, makes it look so easy, don't they? I mean, you're like thinking, well, I can do that until somebody gives you a pair of skates and then you figure out it's not as easy as you think it is. I mean, but for the hours and the hours of practice, the investment that the family, that the whole family makes, man, it must be something else. But in this series, we're not going to talk about champions in the athletic world or in the athletic realm. What we are going to talk about is we're going to talk about champions of faith because the Scripture is filled with men and women of faith that excelled in that arena, that were obedient to God even, even when things didn't look so good. We're going to take a look over the next several weeks, and there's going to be a passage of Scripture that's sort of going to be the the, sort of the, the hold us all together passage, and it's found in the New Testament, and uh, it's in the book of Hebrews. So if you want to turn there, we want to read that. I want to read it to you to start off with, and while you're looking, Tom and Sandy, will you stand up? 43 years of marriage they celebrate today. <clears throat> Thank you for the, the example that you guys set. Tom said it's, it's been like the past 40 year, 43 years has been like 10 minutes. 10 minutes underwater. <laughs> but it's just flown by like 10 minutes. Uh, thank you for the investment in the lives of couples that you make, not only on to, to mentor them, but to encourage them and enrich their, their marriages. And I know that you guys right now are meeting on Sunday nights and, and with couples. And if you're interested and you just say, I want to make my marriage better, I want to be part of a small group that's maybe focusing on that, see Tom and Sandy. Uh, Thank you guys for the example that you've set. But I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I hope that you, you bring a copy of God's Word with you. Man, I, you know, I love electronics, and I think they're great. But I like to have something in my hand to be able to make, you know, and I know you can do that with electronics. I just like a copy of God's Word. We weren't giving God's Word to sit on the table so it could collect dust and make everybody think that we're really smart, okay? We're religious people. It was given. God gave us His Word so that we could digest it. We could feed on it. We could spend time in it so it would teach us how to live. 
And so we're going to do that as we walk through. We, we spend time in God's Word to say, okay, what does it say to us, and how do I need to apply this to my life? But this is the passage I want to read to you as we talk about faith and those people that have gone before us. I'm going to read it to you first, and then I want you to read it out loud with me. And this is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. That's a good weight loss program. Yeah. Especially the sin so that, that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Will you read that out loud with me in this New Living Translation? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Can we pray together? Father, this is what I know, that, that you know exactly, exactly where each one of us are in this room today. And Father, before I ever planned to talk about Noah, you knew exactly who would be in this place. And as we talk about champions of faith, um, there's going to be some words of encouragement some words of affirmation that we need to hear that, that come from these men and women that have lived and went on before us. And so I pray, Lord, that as we take them out of the stands and as we hear their voice, I pray that, Lord, that we be very attentive because as they speak, some of these characters, as we walk through them over the next several weeks, are going to speak words that we need to hear. May we be very intuitive and, and, and have a very listening ear over the next several weeks. There are people that are here that are dealing with, with physical ailments. That are, there are people here that are dealing with um, relationship difficulties, job difficulties, uh, marriage issues, um, sin issues. There's just a lot of stuff that's going on in our lives. And Father, I just pray that we would hear a word that would so much influence our lives that you speak to us, that it would lead us uh, to maybe repent, change, to turn, um, maybe a word of encouragement that would, that would allow us the opportunity to continue on persevering where we might feel so discouraged and on the point of giving up. Hear us today, and, and Lord, I pray you'd speak through us through your word uh, as we're here today. Without you, our time is nothing more than just a, a regular gathering. But I'm praying now that the Holy Spirit will come in this place and that we would be very attentive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John Maxwell wrote a book uh, called Running with the Giants. If you know anything about John Maxwell, he's a man that speaks an awful lot on leadership development. But John wrote a, a book on Running with the Giants, and that's basically where we're pulling a lot of our information from as we talk about this, because this is the question, what would it be like if some of the men and women of faith that have gone on before us were to come out of the stands where they're applauding us and trying to encourage us what would it be like if they were to walk alongside of us in this journey of faith and to whisper in our ears? I wonder what they would say to us. I mean, I wonder what some of these characters might, might say to us if they were to, to, to walk along and see us experiencing certain things. They might say, hey man, listen, keep your head up. You know, you know keep on. Let me tell you what happened to me. <clears throat> you know, there's, there's so many stories so many stories that these men and women of old of faith 
that they could share with us that would be so encouraging and so enlightening. And so that's really what this series is all about. Let's take some of these men and women of faith. Let's take them, the characters that we talk about in the scriptures, and it's, it's not going to be an exhaustive list. We just picked out eight people. We're going to walk through this all the way up to Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about Jesus on Palm Sunday, and then we're going to have celebration on Easter Sunday. But during these next eight weeks, we're just going to be pulling out some different characters, and we're going to be talking about them and their story and what they might say to us if they were to encourage us in our, in our faith journey. And today, we're going to take out a man by the name of Noah. We're in no specific order. We're just going to be moving these in and out as I feel, uh, as I feel led to for that Sunday. But today, we're going to talk about a man by the name of Noah. And if you've grown up in and around church circles, you've probably heard a story somewhere along the line about the man by the name of Noah. You've probably sung a song about Noah. You've done a flannel graph about Noah. Somewhere on the line, you've probably heard about Noah, because Noah was a famous man in the scriptures. Biblical history, Noah comes about a thousand years after Adam and Eve. He lived, um, he lived some 950 years. I thought I was old when Meredith and I started having kids. Here's Noah at 500 years and has three sons. Man, I can't keep up with my kids and I'm not even 50. He's, I mean, this guy's, whoo, three boys, you know, three boys. But Noah lived in a time when the earth wasn't as perfect as it once was. There was sin, there was lawlessness, there was chaos. It was after the fall of man. Man's heart, the Bible says, continued towards wickedness and was inclined towards evil. But in the middle of all of that, there was a man by the name of Noah. Noah. And the Bible tells us a little bit about Noah and, and, his, and his ancestry. We know that his grandfather was a man by the name of Methuselah that lived some 969 years old, the oldest recorded man ever to live. He had a son by the name of, uh, of Lamech who had a son by the name of Noah. And Noah had three sons. And if Noah were to walk among us today, there's probably a lot of different things that Noah would say. But one of the things that I think that Noah would say is pretty simple, and I'm a pretty simple guy, is this. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. There's an awful lot of things that Noah could say, and we'll talk about a few others a little bit later. But I think that Noah would say this, you can make a difference. If you've, ever, if you've grown up and you've, and you've been around people long enough, there's probably somebody that told you you'll never amount to anything. There's probably somebody within your sphere of influence that said you aren't smart enough, you aren't good looking enough, you aren't tall enough, you aren't short enough, you aren't rich enough, you don't have the right friends. There's somebody probably within your sphere of influence that have said to you, you can't do it. And Noah would say, listen, let me tell you something. I'll tell you this, God takes the ordinary God takes the people that have been sort of set to the side, and he does the extraordinary. That's what my God does. God allows us the opportunity to make a difference. God, if God used me in the midst of my generation, God can use you. And I think that's one of the things that he would say to us. And so we're going to start off today in the book of Genesis. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, it's called the book of beginnings, the first book that we find in Scripture. It's part of five books called the Pentateuch or the, the Torah, depending on if you're Jewish. It is a book, a five-fold book that sort of talks to us and gives us the foundations of our faith, the creation, God's love and relationship with man, our sinfulness as humans, God's, God's saving grace is how he rescues us. And here in the midst of this, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, what we find is almost like an evaluation as God says this in Genesis 6, 5, 
The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. Now, there's there's two times that we find in Scripture in the New Testament where the days of Noah are quoted. Two times in in the New Testament where we find the days of Noah being quoted once by Jesus and another time by Peter. Jesus said it this way. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. What will it look like? Wickedness and lawlessness. Now, we don't necessarily like to talk about the reality of where things are. We don't like to talk about the condition of our world. We don't like to talk about the condition of America. We always like to sort of push, push it off on somebody else. But if you read the stats and if you're, and if you're truly real, you'll find out that we're in pretty doggone p- pathetic shape, aren't we? I mean, if you want to sit down and talk about the heart of man, you want to talk about adultery, you want to talk about, um, you want to talk about issues that we're dealing with, immorality, economics, sexual abuse, pornography, dishonesty, bitterness, terrorism, kids being sold into slavery, sexual abuse. I mean, it's, it's here and it's among us. And I wonder what God sees as he looks down from his perspective, not at our perspective, but I wonder what things look like from God's perspective as he looks over the whole earth and what jesus says was that in those days in the last days it will look like it it did in the days of noah i wonder if we're in the last days see i thought things were bad 20 years ago and i wonder if we're in the last days he goes on to say the lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them and put them on the earth. How many of you ever had your children break your heart? How many of you had your children make decisions that were contrary to what you believed or what you felt was right? And here's God looking down in sorrow, broken, hurting, regretful. Not necessarily regretful for creation, but his heart is broken because of the the decisions and how we've chosen to live. And here's a picture of God grieving and sorrowful because of man's choices. See, I hurt when my kids make bad choices. And you know why? Because I know the consequences of those choices. I know the consequences of lying. I know the consequences of being disobedient. I know the consequences of what it's like to to move out from under and be disrespectful. I know what it's the consequences when you're not submissive to authority. And the Lord said in verse 7, I will wipe away this human race I've created. Who created the human race? God did. I will wipe away this human race that I've created from the face of the earth. And yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. And I'm sorry that I ever made them. Here's God's heart being broken. See, we like to talk about the characteristics of God that are loving, and God is kind, and God is forgiving, and God is gracious, and God is merciful. But can I tell you another part of God's character? God is also just, and the Bible says that he will punish sin. There's going to come a time that every one of us are going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of our sinfulness. That's what the scripture teaches. But in the midst of all of that that was going on, verse 8 says this, but here's Noah who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
And this is the first that I think that we ought to focus on today because what was it in Noah's life that caused him, that allowed him the opportunity to find favor in God's eyes? Look at what he says in verse 9. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, a blameless. He was blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. I mean, here's God getting ready to wipe everything out in the midst of lawlessness, in the midst of sinfulness, in the midst of wickedness, and all of this chaos that's happening. And in the midst, as God looks down, he looks upon the whole earth, and the only one he sees is Noah. And Noah finds favor in God's eyes. Righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. And because Noah found favor in God's eyes, because God found favor, he chose Noah to make a difference in that generation. One of the things, make a generation. And you know, when, when, you, when you think about or make a difference, and when you start thinking about making a difference, one of the first things I think about when we start talking about making a difference is I think about making a difference in our family. Making a difference in our family. Genesis chapter 7, read that with me. Genesis chapter 7 verse 1, and this is, this is the Noah story. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all of your family. Now who was the one that found favor in the eyes of the Lord? Noah. Catch, catch what's being said here. Go into the boat with all your family. It didn't say that Noah's family found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It says Noah found favor. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone, not mama, not your brothers, not their wives, but you alone are righteous. I'm saving you and your family because I found you to be righteous. And this is what I think we need to understand, that as we live for God, we make a difference in the lives of those that we come in contact with. Now there's a passage of scripture that, I, that we find in Acts. And, and uh, over in Acts chapter 16, there's a passage about Paul and Silas, and they're, they're in jail, and they're having this worship service, and people are praising God, and they're singing, and they're praying. And in the midst of that, Luke records that there was this humongous earthquake that took place, and the chains fell off, and the doors opened, and the prison guard awoke to, to what in the world's going on, and he, he run down, and, and Paul says, hey, wait, we're all here. I mean, the guy's getting ready to kill himself because he knew, listen, I'm fixing to lose my life. And they said, no, we're here. Everything's Okay. And he says to them, he says, what, what, what must I do to be saved? And it's recorded in Acts chapter 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now, does that mean that, that because Steve makes a decision for Christ that he automatically, everybody else in his family gets sort of grandfathered in because of his relationship with Christ? That's not what it means. No, but it, what it means is that in that household uh, oikos, what it means is that when you have a relationship with God, that that relationship with God flows into the, those lives of the other people that you have in and around you. And if you're living for Jesus, there's a great chance that your life is going to flow over into the others that are around you, and you're going to be able to make a difference. When you trust God, 
When you trust Christ and you live for Him, there's a greater opportunity for your life to have an effect on those in your side of your sphere of influence. How do you, do you have an influence inside of the sphere of those that you work with? I mean, is, or is your Christian relationship based on Sunday morning attendance? Or how much you give or how many Bible studies that you're involved in? I mean, does your, does your walk with Christ... Does it flow over to the other relationships that, are, that you're immediately involved with? It should. And if it, not, if, it's, if it doesn't, the question I would ask you is why not? I mean, why not? It should. To live in such a way that you are a difference maker within our sphere of influence, which we begins with our family. How does your relationship with God, how is it affecting those around you as a parent? I mean, is, do you see your home as a place of discipleship, of discipling your children and raising them up in, in, in a place of faith? Do you see that the church's responsibility, the, the building? I mean, do you see that as the church or do you see that as your responsibility? It's your responsibility. Do you, do you happen to see that the opportunity of, of reaching those as a, as a grandparent and, and having and passing down that faith, maybe an uncle, a sister, or a brother, but how is your relationship with God affecting the lives of others or in and around you? Are you making a difference? Second thing I think that Noah would say is, are you making a difference in this generation? You're talking about a man on a mission? You're talking about a man? You're talking about a, a man here that lived with a purpose? Do you even think that we have a responsibility to reach and impact this generation of people? I think Noah would say you have a responsibility. Growing up in and around church, um, and Donna Kay, you probably can uh, attest to this, <clears throat> sometimes the conversations with church people, the sitting with Christians, church, church people, how loud the music was, what kind of music it was, did the preacher preach too long, was he too short, was he deep enough, are you with me? Yeah. Listen, I'm simple. If you come to get something deep, you need to go someplace else. Because I'm not that deep. It's really simple. And it reminds me of the story of the young pastor who comes to the new church. He comes to the new church, and I mean, he's fired up, and he stands, and he preaches, preaches this great sermon. And he preaches his heart out. People just, ah, it was great, great. You know, patting him on the shoulder. Pastor, that was such a great sermon. Come back the next Sunday, he preaches the same exact sermon, same story, same passage of Scripture, same points. It was the same. Well, people thought, oh, bless his heart. You know, his family's just, he's just been overworked. You know, he just didn't know any better. So he preaches the same service, same sermon. Third Sunday, he preaches the same thing again. People start getting antsy. They'll give you a break for a little while. Three times. Come back the fourth time. Same sermon again, Jack. Same exact sermon. Same points. Same stories. Everything. Same exact sermon. Well, there was a committee that started to form. Are you with me? <clears throat> you know, something must be going on in the life of the pastor preaching the same sermon. He must not have anything else to say. Maybe that's all he knows. Maybe he really doesn't have a degree. Okay, you know, you're going through all these things. They call the pastor aside after the sermon. They say, Pastor, I said, listen, no. Uh, there's just a couple of, I want you to know we just, think you're, we just think the world of you and your family, but pastor, you've been preaching the same sermon for four weeks now. Is there a, something you need to tell us? No, no, everything's fine. The same sermon. He goes, well, yeah, and I'm going to preach it again next week. Pastor, I don't think you need to do that. He said, 
No, he said, I, I need to preach the same sermon. He said, I'm just sort of waiting around until everybody gets that point, and when they get, they get that point and start living that out, then I'll move on to point number two. <laughs> Man, listen, God's Word isn't that difficult to understand. It's pretty doggone simple. We spend so much time to figure out stuff that we don't even can't even figure out. We cannot even live out the things that, are, that it tells us that are simple to live out. And, and here's Noah saying, listen, man, you can make a difference. You're supposed to make a difference in this generation. I see Sunday mornings is not a time of depth. I see it like bringing the football team together at halftime. And we all of a sudden, we figure out, man, we got a guy hurt over here, and we got a guy hurt over here. We need to put it all together, go back to the playbook, see what it is we may be missing out on, put it back together and send everybody back out. Listen, your time on Sunday mornings is not just to come in here and give a little depth so you can leave back out and tell everybody how smart you are. No, that's not what it's about. And this is God's family coming together to encourage and to heal the wounds because I promise you when you go back out into the world, there are wounds out there. You're going to hurt. There's going to be painful. People that call themselves believers don't necessarily act like believers sometimes. But we come back in to huddle and we come back in to be encouraged and we come back in to get fired up to go back out and to make a difference in the world that we've been called to live. I love the song that Steve Green sings. He's been singing it for years and these are the words. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Man, does your life inspire others within this generation to live for Jesus? I mean, does, does your, your acts of worship, does your acts of service, does your acts of love, does your acts of sharing, sharing life, I mean, does that, in, does that happen to influence the lives and infect the lives of others that are around you for Christ? If not, it should. He says, in the lives we live, inspire them to obey. Oh, may that all become behind us, find us faithful. If we don't make a difference in this generation, who will? You know why we have this building? Because there were those that went before us that set a pattern so that look at what we're able to experience now. What are we going to leave for the generation behind us? Man, this is the beginning. This is not the ending. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? The people that are serving in the different areas. I mean, why? Because we want to make a difference for this generation. We can make a difference for God, I, I mean, how many of you were like the kid that stayed close to the teacher? And anytime the teacher needs something, you'd say, me, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Or the football coach, hey, coach, put me in, put me in. I want to go in, I want to go in. Hey, coach, put me in, come on, I want to I go. I mean, here's this special play. Coach, let me, let me, let me play, let me play. Or are you like sitting on the bench over there like going, oh, I hope you don't call me. I don't know the plays. I'm scared to death. This is a lot bigger than we are. Oh, man, I want to be right there. Put me in, coach. I want to be in the game. I want to play. I want to play. Don't you love the story of Rudy and, and Notre Dame and, and, and coming on and being that walk-on and that last, the last couple of plays of the 1975 season where he walks on in and, and all of his stats, it records one thing, that one sack that he made on the last play of the game. Coach, put me in. Perseverance, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Let me ask you, how fully committed are you? Are you committed as long as things are going your way? Are you committed in the midst of your marriage as long as He's doing or she's doing what I want them to do for me? Or baby, are you all in? 
Let me give you a sort of a secret, guys. Life isn't always going to go the way that you want it to go. It's not so much about saving your marriage as it is. God, what are you saying to me and what are you trying to teach me during this time? Ezekiel twenty two thirty. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand up in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. We're not talking about a wall built of stones. We're talking about a wall built of faithful men. And I'm looking for faithful men. God's looking for faithful men in this generation that are willing to make a difference for God. See, I don't know about you, but man, I want God to use me. I want to be accounted for. I want to be able to make a difference. I want my children to make a difference. I want my family to make a difference. Do you ever get up in the morning saying, man, God, what are you going to do in my life today? How are you going to use me today to influence somebody else's life? You know, Larry, when you crawl out of the bed or fall out of the bed or however you get out of the bed in the morning, what are you saying? Oh, me. Probably some of us, especially as we get older and the knees start hurting. But God, what is it you want me to do? Who's life today? You know, Kenny, man, when you're running around, or Dennis, when you're running around in a police car, it's not just always about giving somebody a ticket. Whose life can I impact today? Whose life can I make a difference in today? God, how will you use me to make a difference like you did in the days, like you did in Noah's life? No business is normal, but I want to be a catalyst. I want to be a light. So here's Noah running alongside of us, and what would he say? Keep on, man. Keep on. It's going to be all right. You're going to be okay. Don't get discouraged. Keep running the race. Keep running the race. I know things don't look good right now, but don't stop. Don't stop. Don't let your surroundings dictate your decisions. Step up. Make a difference for God, regardless of what everybody else is doing. Don't use your neighbor as, a, as, a, as an excuse. Don't use your pastor as an excuse. Don't use your peers as an excuse. Don't use the other people in your, in your small group as an excuse. You make a stand for God. Noah will go on to say three, three quick things. Don't be afraid to stand up when everybody else is sitting down. Man, how in the world do you think this guy felt? Don't be afraid to go against the flow. <laughs> Building a boat in the middle of wherever. No water. A boat? For how many years? you got to be kidding me. I mean, the first couple of years, they probably laughed at him. After that? I bet it got really tough. I bet you even his family's saying, have you lost your mind? But Noah would say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to trust God and do what's right, even when everybody else around you isn't. Don't be afraid. Remember <clears throat> when we talked about the four Gs, God is glorious, and if God is glorious, I don't have to fear others. When I've got my eyes set on Jesus, I don't have to worry about trying to impress anybody else around me. God, when I, when I view you as being glorious and almighty and you, and you are all-consuming, God, it takes my eyes off of what everybody else is doing because I don't have to fear what everybody else thinks because I'm looking at you. And if there was a man that viewed God as glorious, it had to be Noah. To, to stand, withstand all that pressure that he must have undergone during that time, I love what God's Word said in Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Another thought from Noah, don't be afraid to try something for the first time. Listen, chances are in obeying God, there's going to be some things that He's going to ask you to do that you've never done before. 
There's going to be some things that he might ask you to do that's never even been done before. Think about the crossing of the Red Sea. Think about the crossing of the Jordan River. Think about a burning bush. Or maybe think about marching around Jericho for seven times. Think about planting of a church called Heritage. Hello? Somebody asked me the other day, they said, how do you know, how do you know when something is God's will? Because I feel in my life that I've got God's wanting me to do something, and, and I think it's a step of faith, and I think that I've got the gifts, and I think I've got the talents, and I think that I have the abilities to be able to do what needs to be done. I thought for a second, and I said, okay, how do I explain this to him? And I said, okay, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you my life experiences. The times in my life that I felt God has wanted me to do something are not the times in my life that I felt confident about my talents and my abilities and my assets. The times in my life that I felt God wanted me to do something were the times that I felt completely abandoned and useless. The times that I felt that if, if God didn't show up, there was nothing going to happen. The times that I felt that, that, that God was working in my life, that I needed to follow him by faith, were the times that I said, God, if you don't show up, man, we're in real trouble because I can't do it. I am completely dependent on you for everything. Dependent on God. Hebrews 11.7, talking about somebody being completely dependent on God. Noah it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God and he warned about he and who warned him about things that he had that had never happened before. Here's God in this conversation telling Noah, "No, I want to tell you some things. You ain't going to believe it. But I'm going to tell you some things that are going to happen." And Noah, I'm calling you out. I, I found you found favor in my eyes. You're a righteous man, you're a blameless man and you you desire to walk with me. But ain't nobody going to believe this, Noah. And I want you to know it's going to be tough. But it's going to be all right. And he goes on to say, By faith Noah condemned the rest of the world, so he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. Faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. Whew. Faith. The last passage, I think, that is part of the Noah story, I think, is one of the most exciting parts. Genesis chapter 9, God said, yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will the floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will flood destroy the earth. And then in verse 12, he says, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you, with all living creatures. For all generations to come, I've placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Third thing I think Noah would say is be look for the rainbow. How many of you guys, you see rainbows and your kids go, oh, look, look, look at a rainbow. Look at a rainbow. And I wonder what God's saying to us. He's saying to us, listen, God's faithful. When God makes a promise, he sticks to it. It's a promise from the Lord. It's a promise from the Lord. And you know what? Jesus said the same thing. He said, I'm with you always, even until the ends of the age. Noah would say as he walked alongside side us, he would say, uh, Tom, Tom and Sandy, even though you're walking through this time of discouragement with your health or with the issues that you're dealing with with family or, or this couple, I want you to know that Tom and Sandy, I'm with you, that I'm walking alongside of you, that, that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. 
because I'm not going to leave you. And I've made a promise, and I want you to see that rainbow. And every time you see that rainbow, I want you to be reminded of the fact that I'm with you. I'm with you. Early on in the, in the message, I told you there were two times in the New Testament that talked about or made reference to the days of Noah uh, in, the, in the New Testament. Uh, one of those was Jesus. The second one was Peter. And I want to read this to you as we close this morning, if I can. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. And this is what it records. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? And what happened? Where is he at? He's coming again? Psst, I haven't seen it. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forgot that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it by water. And then he used the water, talking about the floodwaters, that is, to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, and by the same word, just as God said, listen, it's coming, by that same, by that same word, he said, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for, not water this time, but what? Fire. Fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. And some people would say, well, well if things are so bad right now, if there's, these are like the days of Noah and wickedness is ab abounds, why, 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 does, why has God not already come? I mean, why... Why hasn't Jesus already come back? And look at what he says in verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people might think, no, no. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he desires, he wants everyone to do what? What does the word repent mean? Is there something in your life that you need to repent of? Is there something in your life that's holding you back from making a difference? See, God's, God's laboring, his waiting, is in reference to repentance and giving us an opportunity to choose and to follow him. Why hasn't God come? He's waiting on us. He's not waiting on us to get it right. He's not waiting on us to get it all together. He's not waiting on us to fix our past. But he's waiting on us to come to him and humbly, humbly submit to him. And Noah would say, you can make a difference. You can make a difference. Would you bow your heads with me today? For those of us that are believers here today, um, Father, I think the message is very clear. Continue moving ahead to be blameless, to be righteous, seeking after you, the heart of God, making a difference within the sphere of influence of our family, within this generation, living for you, not being afraid to be the only one that stands up. I think it's been very clear today. 
And so, Father, for those of us that are here believers, my prayer is that we've heard this, and God, we will accept the opportunity that you've given us to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth that begins here in our community, here in our homes, here in our places of business, and here on the ball fields. But there are some that may be here today that don't know you, or they've walked with you at some stage in life, and they have walked away from you for whatever reason because they've become discouraged or disillusioned because of what they've seen and they've not been anchored in fully. They've, they've said they've trusted you and, and, and Lord, they've desired to follow you, but for whatever reason, they've fallen away. My prayer is today is that they would repent and return. Turn, acknowledge their sinfulness and turn back to you and cry out to you and say, God, I need you. Maybe that's you today. And the Lord is spoken, spoken. Right there where you are. Maybe you've walked with the Lord, but you've walked away for whatever reason, but you're, you're hearing the call of the Lord saying, come home. Come home. I'm pursuing you. No, there's nothing you could ever do that would make me love you any more or any less. Come home. If that's you today, I'd just like to be able to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to respond in any other way. I'd just like to respond to you in that affirmation that the Lord's saying to you, come home. With that being said, if that's you, would you just raise your hand where you are with nobody looking around except for me? Yeah. Anybody else? Repent and turn. Come home. Then there may be some here that have never trusted Christ. You don't have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've gone to church, but you've never given fully, full control of your life. You've never trusted Christ. And today you feel that within you saying, today is that time to make that decision. I'm not going to tell you a cute story to try to get you to raise your hand or to walk an aisle or to give your life to Jesus. That's between you and the Lord. But I will tell you this. I'll give you the, the process is that you've come humbly before the Lord recognizing your sinfulness and recognizing that your sin separates you from God, acknowledging that sin and and believing that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. And there's not a thing that you can do to save yourself, but trust in him, for he is the one that died so that you might be saved. And to believe that and to commit your life to live for him. And if that's you today, if that's you today, today I need to make a decision to follow Christ. Would you just let me know? Because I want to be able to pray for you at the end of the service. If there's someone here that says today... I want to follow Christ. I want to trust Christ. Would you just raise your hand where you are? Yeah. Other people, anybody else? I want to be able to pray for you today. Because in about two minutes, we're going to be walking out these doors back into the battlefield again. And we're going to, we're going to hear Noah whispering in our ears. We're also going to have the words of discouragement in our other ear. So, Lord, what I want to I want to do is I want to pray. I want to pray for those that were here today that you've heard the you heard the words of the Lord. You've 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 walked away from God for whatever reason, but you've heard the the voice come home today. Father, would you would you give them the the strength and the encouragement to be able to come home and know that you received them to repent of that sin, to turn, and to come towards you. To come home today. There's somebody here that's made that decision. I, I just pray they'd come to me or go to another believer today and say, I want you to know I, this is the decision I've made to come home, to repent. And if somebody's here today and you've, 
and, and you've mentioned that which I've talked about a little earlier about repentance and about trusting Christ and about saying, I, I need you, Jesus, and I, I want to follow you and obey you. I want to submit. I want to give my life to you. And if that's you today, I want to pray for you and, and just and say, Father, would you give them strength and courage to not just hold on to this in a private way, but, Father, to eventually make this decision to follow you and trust you a public decision. It's not about getting it fixed or getting it all right, but it's about trusting in you and beginning to grow and develop and realizing that, that we can make a difference. For those people that are here today that are wanting to trust you for the first time, God, I pray that you would give them strength today, not to understand it all, but in the simplicity of the gospel, to understand our sinfulness, to recognize your, your, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And even this morning, there may be somebody that cries out and says, me, me, that's me. Save me. Even this morning, would they come to me after this service saying, that's me. That's what I want to do. Father, now I send us out into this world to make a difference, to live out a legacy of faith, to be very attentive, to stay in your playbook, to stay inside of God's word, to be reminded this week of what Noah might say, to not be complacent, but to be aggressive, saying, put me in, coach, put me in. I want to play. I want to make a difference. May we be that type of people. May we be the type of people that are living out our faith daily. May we be the ones that says, I want to make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.